Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. Yeah, it's really simple. Like if there's any takeaway, like if you just stop listening right now, listen to these three statements. And if you follow this, your chances are you're going to have relatively good success managing money. Spend less than you make. If you spend more than you make, that's called debt. It's not a good thing. Save as much as you can, right? Savings is good because at one day you won't be able to earn money anymore. And if you haven't saved, you're going to be in trouble. And then don't do anything stupid with your money. Stupid things cost money. Welcome back to the Building Us podcast. A show all about relationships, love, and money. I am Dr. Matt Morris, couples therapist, family therapist, joined as always by great friend and colleague, Eric Garcia, certified financial planner at all. Hey, Eric. What's up, Matt? What are you chuckling about? I can hear your chuckle in your introduction there. I am just in a great mood, man. I'm, 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 I feel good today. Um, you know I'm in Colorado, so the weather's mm-hmm. beautiful here. Um, it's a beautiful day, I'm, and we're here to talk about money, which I love to talk about, so good mood. Let's do it. Let's talk about money. I want to start, you know, I mentioned I'm in Colorado, so I want to set you up um, with, mm-hmm. um, I want some advice. Okay. I got a question for you. Uh, yeah. So I've been in Colorado, and things are expensive here, and I've been spending a lot of money. So I just want your advice on if my expenses are good or not. Okay. Oh, Okay. You're going to get personal here, huh? Right. So uh, we've been doing some stuff as a family, and, and it, you know, there's several people in my family. It costs money to do this kind of stuff. I, I, don't, I won't go into real detail about the expenses, but um, my son and I did um, downhill mountain biking the other day. Sounds dangerous. Did you wear a helmet? We were fully padded and okay. insured and with helmets for sure. Full face okay. helmets. Okay. But it was expensive. It was more expensive than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. But we had a fantastic time. And we spent several, you know, several minutes to an hour riding on lifts and, and in the gondola and, and, and making memories and talking and visiting and all those kind of things. And so at the end of the day, I didn't miss the money at all. I thought it was a great expense. Now he's asked to go again. So I'm wondering, financial advisor, <laughs> good expense or not? Let well, me give you a, a second it, example. Okay. Second example. My parents came to visit the other day here in Colorado. And um, mom, I love you. I'm going to tell a story about you. I hope you don't get mad. My mom is... Does she uh, never learn? Does your mom listen to our show? I, 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 she, she listens to most things that I put out. So it wouldn't surprise me. Okay. My mom never learned to swim. And for some reason on the way up here, they decided that they would love to go whitewater rafting. Okay. (laughs) Okay. They're, my parents are in their seventies. I mean, they're not, you know, spring chickens as they say. So a a non spring chicken who doesn't know how to swim wants to go whitewater rafting. 
again, but these like are these like class three and four and five rapids. We're talking about like like one. It's like it's like it's a small world type rapids in Disney World, or or what, what are we talking about here? It was a couple of hours on the Colorado River, mm-hmm. which made the Grand Canyon. So you can imagine it's pretty powerful. But our section of the Colorado was pretty meek and mild. It was okay. not class three rapids. Okay. There were some, there were some bumps. There were some splashes. Um, I, I imagine at different seasons in the year, it, it's stronger than others. Ours, ours was kind of white water floating for the most part with a few rapidy sections. Anyway, nobody got tossed out. Nobody had to swim. It was fine. Anyway, another expense, pretty large expense. Good expense or not? Well, it depends. I so mean, I'm setting I'm setting you up. Oh, you're today. setting me up. Are you? Are you I'm setting you up right. for today okay. to use to use my okay. expenses as we talk through your ebook mm. on five pillars of financial security. May, maybe not all of our listeners know this, but you have mm-hmm. written a great guide, a great introductory guide into kind of your philosophy of financial advising and financial planning called the five pillars of financial financial security. Yeah. And so I, I really just wanted to provide you kind of a, a, um, a platform, a, a framework to discuss some of your principles, my own expenses. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll, let me answer your question this way, and then we, we can jump into the guide. So the, actually the very reason that I wrote the guide is that personal finances are, are, are personal, quite frankly. They're, they're very specific to people's individual um, situation. And we, this actually, this guide actually came out of some of the work that you and I started doing really early on. Uh, it really challenged me to think of, hey, what, what are the, the, the foundational or the basic principles that people need to know and understand when they're making financial decisions? You know, sometimes as a financial advisor, as an investment advisor, uh, my world can get very technical. Um, and a lot of things that I talk about might not be specific to everybody. So the question that, that, I was asking myself as you and I were, were preparing a presentation is, hey, what are those things that are applicable to everybody? It doesn't matter demographics. It doesn't matter um, race. It doesn't matter wealth. What are the very foundational principles that people need to have kind of in their, in their back pocket to be able to make good financial decisions? So to answer your question, good expense, bad expense, well, it just really depends on your individual situation. Um, and these are, these are like the, the, the five pillars for me are those... Um, um, are the, the kind of like the foundational um, things that you need, to, the strategies or techniques, not techniques or strategies, beliefs, if you will, to, to be able to make good financial decisions. Yeah, some of them seem like commitments and some of them seem like behaviors or, or actions that you can take that are associated with those commitments. Uh, but we'll get into that. You know, early in, early in the book, you talk a little bit about some of your early memories of money and you really reflect on um, some things that you learned from your parents. Um, I learned things from my parents also. We've talked about this a little bit on previous episodes. Uh, I wanted to ask you a different question though. What, what did you learn from your grandparents about money? Yeah, my, that's a, um, that's a good question. So my, my grandparents came to, I only knew one set of grandparents Um and they came to this country. They basically left everything behind, and and they were they were relatively well off in in Cuba, where they were from. And they came to this country and and started from scratch. Um, I had 
awesome memories of my grandfather. Like I still, sometimes I ask, I have to go to my mom, like what, what did he do? What did he do for a living? Guys, one memory that I have is he would um, always have like these toys, almost like French market style toys, right? You go to the French market and they got mm-hmm. some, of the, some of the booths set up and they sell like these like hot wheels and crazy just like trinkets. Yeah. He always had my those around. Yeah. yeah. He always had those around. So um, like he wholesaled them, I think. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Um, mm. But one thing about my grandfather, he and this was back in the day um, when there was not a coin shortage in America. He always had coins in his pocket, and he would, at the end of the day, he would always empty his coins and put them on his um, on his dresser. And um, he would let me he would let me take the coins. And my uncle at the time um, needed quarters to ride the public transit to the RTA to get to work. Mm. So I would I would take the quarters from my grandfather's dresser that he would give me, and then I would go exchange them for dollars. Um, because I wanted I wanted dollars to go buy baseball cards, and my uncle needed quarters to ride the bus, so I would, I would get dollars, and it was a whole lot easier for me to win, carry win. dollars than quarters. Yeah, it was a win win. It was a win win. Yeah, the transportation in New Orleans, uh, local tip here requires exact change, so you got to bring change. exact change. They got like like jazz cards and stuff now. Can, yeah, you, you get, can. Yeah, preload some things, but if you're if you're paying with dollars and cents, don't expect change. Yeah, so it's a memory of money, whether it's probably the lesson, the thing that I've learned from, from I would say, my grandparents about money and really just family is um, kind of having that experience of of seeing the, the immigrant experience. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, work ethic, um, kind of what you value, what you don't value, value family, value relationships, value those those uh, family, those familial relationships um, and the importance of those. That's probably... I've never really yeah. thought about it, but those are probably some of the things that I took away from um, from my from my grandparents. Well, you know, I'm always interested in people's family stories, so I'll I'll come back to that in a bit, if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. you sure. know, a memory a memory that I have from a grandparent. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time with uh, my grandmother for for all of my life. She was widowed and retired. I didn't know her married or working. She was a school teacher, retired school teacher. Uh, but I have lots of memories of going to the bank with her. She would get dressed up. She would drive downtown to where the big bank was. We would take the elevator up to a, a high floor, and she would go check on her account or accounts. I don't know what exactly she was doing, but I don't think she had a lot know, of... Didn't she know there were apps for that? Yeah, yeah. The app was get in, get your butt in your car, uh-huh. drive down to the big bank, and talk to somebody who had a big book. She had those little savings books where she recorded numbers and things with like pencil. Um, but you know what I took from that? I don't think she had a lot of money. I think she was a retired widowed school teacher. I don't think she had a lot of money, um, but she checked on her accounts regularly. And I think mm-hmm. that that imparted to me um, a, a sense of the importance of, of money, the importance of personal finance, the importance of accounting or personal accounting and checking on things. And just in reading through your ebook, you talk about knowing where your money is. Mm-hmm. And I think that was what she was doing, was knowing about her money. And I, I took that from her, that it was important to know, know about your finances, know where you stand, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into... Um, uh, get into some of the content of your book, you know, you really open with these three, what I would say, seminal statements about your approach to helping others manage their money. 
Um, and I, I'd just like to get some comments from you about these three statements. One of yeah. them is, mm-hmm. is spend less than you make. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. The second one is save a lot. Mm-hmm. And a third is don't do anything stupid with your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I soften it a little bit and say, "Don't say anything foolish." You know, I don't want to use "stupid" in my uh, in my ebook, but uh, but yeah, don't do anything stupid with your money. Okay, so yeah. don't do anything foolish with your money. So let's go back to the first one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really simple. Like if, if if there's any takeaway, like if you just stop listening right now, listen to these three statements, and if you follow this, your chances are you're going to have relatively good success managing money. Spend less than you make, right? You can't. If you spend more than you make, that's called debt. It's not a good thing. Um, save as much as you can, right? Savings is good because at one day you won't be able to earn money anymore. And if you haven't saved, you're going you're gonna to be in trouble. And then, and then don't do anything stupid with your money, right? Stupid things cost money. Um, but really, this, this kind of came from an idea. And I kind of made this connection a couple years ago. My dad would always tell me growing up, son, if you make $5, spend three, save two. You know, you never know when you're going to need those two dollars. Mm. And at the time, you know, it's it's dad, you know, giving advice to his kids, so you don't think much of it. But then I was thinking, man, that is that is actually very good and sound financial advice. Mm. Um, before you even think about investing, before you even think about retirement, just hey, look, if you make five dollars, spend three, save two. Uh, you never know when you're going to need it. So number one is spend less than you make. Simple, but hard. Yeah. Yeah. The more I make, the more I want to spend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the second part of that of, of, of saving and, and realize it says, I say save as much as you can. I don't talk about investments. I don't talk about IRAs. I don't talk about retirement. At the end of the day, you have to save. You have to put something aside for tomorrow uh, from, from a very basic principle. And and in the section of the ebook on savings, there's a there's various kind of savings. You go into all of those details, but the overarching headline is save. Save. That's right. Save save as much as you can. Yep. Yeah. Cash cash is king. When you have when you have cash, when you have savings, it gives you a lot of opportunities. It gives you a lot of um, freedom and and security. Uh, when you have savings, you're able to go to Colorado and spend a little bit of money whitewater rafting or spend, you know, money going downhill mountain biking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, while here, I also had a flat tire. I don't know if you know this about me, Eric, but my, one of my first jobs, my second job ever in life that I got paid for was fixing flat tires. I I had a job at the, the local tire store and I fixed flat tires. And back then we would break a tire down, separate the tire from the rim find the the hole and sand it all down and then patch it with a a permanent glue patch and put it all back together. And we charged people $5 for that service. And I got to keep $2 and the owner of the shop got to keep $3. So I got two bucks a flat tire. So some days, you know, if I fix 10 flats, I could make 20 bucks. Anyway, I say that to say, while I'm here in Colorado, I got a flat tire and I had to go to a tire store you know what flats cost to get fixed these Not days? $5. 50 bucks. And I hear Colorado's expensive. Colorado, uh, <laughs> some things are more expensive here. That's right. It's the, the mile high state in prices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in terms of savings, I not only need to be able to save for fun experiences with my family, but also for flat tires occasionally. Yeah. So there's, you know, sure, we can, we can get to this in the savings part, but, but really quickly, there's short-term savings and there's long-term savings, right? Retirement is long-term 
um, a fat flat tire is kind of an emergency situation. Yeah, I needed it fixed for sure. Um, the the your I don't I don't think we got to the uh, the third statement really in depth, but don't do anything foolish with your money. And that sounds yeah. like that is is somewhat in the eye of the beholder. It is. Is mountain little, biking little foolish? Relative. Yeah. 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 Uh, foolishness, something you do. I mean, that this is a bit values driven. It's a bit of a values driven thing. Um, foolish could be making an investment that uh, you're not in a position to make. That could be foolish, right? The same expenditure that I do and you do, uh, it could be foolish for me, but it could be wise for you. Mm-hmm. Um, foolish could be, you know, spending a lot of money on a vacation when you have, you know, twenty thousand dollars of high interest credit card debt. That that's a mm-hmm. pretty that's a pretty foolish investment because it's going to cost you a lot more or foolish, you know, uh, the thing to do with your money because it's going to cost you a lot because you're already in debt. Um, so it's, that's a kind of a relative statement. Sometimes there's value in having an outsider look at that to discern and make, make some of those decisions as, as you're trying to process it. Yeah, that that makes sense. You talk a lot about values and aligning your, Mm -hmm. your, your financial management, your your spending, your savings, your debt, aligning those with your values. And in the ebook, you talk about these, I would say, two philosophical ideas. One is stewardship and the other is provision. Mm-hmm. Um, well, connect those those dots for me. What are what are the values that you're hoping people uh, consider and really reflect upon? Well, again, let me say I I, I try not to project my values onto other people. When I say my values, I'm not talking about like good, wise financial values, but just kind of yeah. what drives them, what motivates them. That That is, that is unique to, to people individually. The, the idea of stewardship and provision actually grew out of um, two, opposite, um, two opposite factors, if you will, or two opposite motivations that I find. And I was, I was taught this kind of growing up in the financial industry. Um, you, you look at a lot of, a lot of marketing, and they they feed on two things: fear and greed, hmm. right? Like, yeah. oh, if you don't do this, you're gonna you're gonna die poor, or, or if you don't buy this insurance, your your life's gonna be wrecked. And and so so a lot of financial marketing tends to be driven on these two human emotions. It feeds on these two human emotions: fear and greed. Uh, and, I, and as I was reflecting on that, I started to think: well, why do we have to make good decisions, or why are we why are we trying to get people to make good decisions? Um, by using these these two very negative emotions, I want to look at it from a different perspective. So the idea of stewardship is a much more positive uh, 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 approach. And the idea of stewardship really is simple. Uh, the idea is that everything you have or your money, which you, your your material resources, they're not yours; they belong to somebody else, right? And um, you are responsible for being wise with it, spending it wisely. And all you have to do is give account to that person who, who's, who, who allowed you to manage this, these resources. Um, so the idea of stewardship is I am stewarding something that belongs to somebody else. Hmm. And typically when we put that perspective on something, we tend to be a little bit wiser and a little bit better with it. So the, the, the story I like to tell is just think of the person who you trust the most person you have the most respect for. Don't tell me, but just, you have that picture in your mind, everything Hmm. you have belongs to them. And they say, Matt, all this money, my, the, the car you drive, the house you live in, you can use it for for you and for your family. All I'm going to ask is that every year you give me an accounting for of what you did with the money. 
right? And we, we, we could think of stewardship and if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, right? The, the steward of Gondor, right? You think of um, the Native American um, saying that, that the earth, we, we, we borrow it from our, from our, um, uh, from, from our grandchildren, right? This idea of, I have to be, I have to manage this resource well. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the second idea of provision is this idea that, Hey, I, I, I'm responsible for providing for myself. And if I have a family for my family, um, if I'm charitable, uh, if I'm, if I'm charitable minded for, for a charity, like I'm responsible, like I work, I have resources and I have to be able to provide for people. So, uh, the motivation for me is to make good decisions that align with those values, right? If, if, if I deem something important and I'm not doing that, um, uh, you know, we had a, a, a guest, uh, I think it was Dr. Ben Deshara on our podcast. You talked about you, your, 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 um, um, your treasures are what you do with your, how, how did he put it? Your heart is or what you do with your money is what you value or something along those lines. Um, yeah. Yeah, I need to go back and listen to that episode. It was a great episode about work-life balance, but something about um, your where how you spend your money is is uh, reflective of your values, your heart, if you will. Yeah, and and if you're not if you're if you're misaligned in what you're doing with your money and what you really value, then that's eventually going to become a client of yours because they're going to be ha- unhappy, they're going to be miserable, mm-hmm. um, they're going to reflect. There's going to be a lot of regret. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think a lot of money management and good money management, if you want to be really intentional and purposeful, is aligning um, what you're doing with your money with your values. And I think looking at it from a, pers- a perspective of stewardship and provision, it starts to move you into a li- in alignment as opposed to making a decision based off of fear or off of greed. I want more. I need more. Or, yeah. gosh, I'm so scared. I need to hold on to my money because, I don't know, my something bad might happen. Yeah, so... Kind of going back to my intro stories here, one of my values is to really have a connection with my family members and a, and a connection with my kids and to build uh, memories with my kids. And so if, if that's one of the values and uh, spending money on an activity that um, supplements that could be a good expense. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of spending money on experience and, and building memories. How, you know, I, I don't know that I've really asked you this question, but how did you get into financial advising, money management, uh, all, the, all the stuff that you're in? How did you really get into it? Ooh, I'll tell you the quick story. So I yeah. grew up, I grew up in the insurance industry. My dad um, was in the insurance industry and there was always this kind of idea that I was going to follow in his footsteps and uh, ended up going to Tulane for business school. Um, and while at Tulane... Um, I took a couple classes in entrepreneurship and the, the professor was a local business owner and I went to go see him for office hours one day and he was in his office and he was trading one of his investment accounts. And, mm. uh, he's like, he's like, come on in. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to watch? I'm like, yeah. You know, this guy was, a, was a pretty wealthy, uh, business owner. I mean, a pretty, you know, pretty known person in, um, in New Orleans. So here I am, I'm in his office and he's trading on, I think it was a Yahoo account. He's or he was researching on Yahoo, and he's kind of talking through the things that he's looking for. I'm like, man, I, I kind of like, I kind of like money management. This is this is kind of cool. And then um, I started taking a little bit more financial classes in in college. Uh, to fast forward, I interviewed with a couple 
investment firms ended up going to work with, with my dad in the insurance industry. Um, and then, um, eventually he did all the insurance and I just started doing all the, all the investments. And then eventually I left insurance completely and went, uh, purely on the investment side. Um, and through, and you can go kind of listen to the podcast that we talked about the early years, uh, through some of the work that you and I did, I'm like, man, financial planning, this is, people need this. They don't just need someone to invest yeah. their dollars. They need good advice in, in other areas of their life, which kind of led me into, um, the financial planning space, which, which, uh, was a catalyst for me to get my certified financial planning designation. That's the quick story. Yeah. I, I hear you. I, 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 as you were telling that story, I thought about my own kind of educational journey into uh, family therapy and how I arrived here. Um, I also love that part about that you went and met with a professor, and, uh, and that was inspiring. As a professor, um, I have office hours, and um, sometimes people come to them. Yeah, you know, some. I, I think... Uh, whether you're a business owner, a professor, or just just anybody, when, when you take time to talk about what you do with someone else, I mean, you're planting seeds that you may yeah. never see the fruit of those seeds, um, but you're planting seeds and, and you're 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 leaving little pieces of legacy everywhere you go. Hmm. You mentioned a, a few minutes ago that in writing this book, or or part of the process of writing this book, had to do with really trying to. Um, crystallize and concretize some foundational principles of, of financial advising. And it, and it kind of grew out of some of the work that you and I were doing collaboratively. Um, are you writing and advising only rich people? No, no. So, um, the, the principles in that I talk about here are, uh, are across all demographics. It doesn't matter how much money you make. And, that, and that's actually a, a big misconception. People think if you make a lot of money, you're wealthy. There, there's obviously a correlation between how much money you make and wealth or your potential to build wealth. But um, uh, money management is is totally, uh, it's irrelevant to, to, to how much wealth you have. So these are principles that apply to anybody, whether you, you're just starting off or whether you have millions of dollars in the bank. These are principles that if you don't follow these, there's a good chance that, um, uh, you're not going to be as successful as you can, or you won't be successful at all. Yeah. You know, I, I used to, um, do some counseling at a local agency in new Orleans and, and m most of the clients or all of the clients at that agency that were in my group at that time had pretty sparse incomes. And, and, um, as part of the group, we started talking about personal finance and, and, financial management. And these, these folks, these guys, um, really enjoyed having someone to bounce ideas off of regarding financial management. And what, what we often talked about there was because their incomes were so small, they really needed to manage it very closely, very mm -hmm. tightly. Um, and, and so I would say in some ways, their uh, the the discussions with them about finances were were more simple than very wealthy people, but were were as important, if not more important, because the decisions were more critical. It seemed. Yeah, the more the more discretionary money you have, the more discretionary income you have, um, the the sloppier 
you can be financially. Mm-hmm. The less discretionary income you have, the the more careful you have to be. Now, with that said, I have um, I've talked to a lot of people who have very big incomes, but they have very little discretionary income because they have tied up all their income in debt. Yeah. So they they have to be very very careful in what they do, and I've I've talked to people who make a lot less and they have a lot of uh, discretionary income because they're very frugal. Uh, so that the the amount of discretionary income, right? How much I make minus how much I spend or how, how much is tied up in, in, in commitments. The, the difference is your discretionary income. You can be more sloppy, right? You can make decisions like when I say you sloppy, margin. Yeah. You, you have a lot more margin. You know, if you want to go downhill bike riding twice on a trip and it's expensive and you have discretionary income to do so, then do it. If it, if you value it. Absolutely. My son will be glad to hear that. Yes. Tell him, tell him to thank me. We we uh, mentioned this earlier, but kind of got away from it. That your your parents um, immigrated here, yes. and and you talk a lot about values when you're talking about finances. And so, as a family person, that that generally means that some of those values came from your family and and uh, how they grew up and um, the influences that were around them. What do you what do you know about? Um, the people that were pouring into them or influencing your parents uh, when they were young or prior to when they immigrated here? Oh my gosh. Um, so my dad, my, I mean, my dad grew up relative. My dad has an interesting story. We should get him on and have him tell it. He he grew up, he came from a very poor family, um, but yet uh, ultimately was was raised by a relatively wealthy family and kind of lived in two worlds while he was in Cuba. Um so, um, for, yeah, I don't know. I can't specifically say about what, what he learned. He probably learned a lot of different lessons, right? He learned a lot of about work ethic and, and mm-hmm. surviving, um, from one side and the other side, he was able to see what it was like to own a business and, and work hard and to build, uh, something. And I think he brought that back with him. Uh, what it takes to build a business and everything that goes and invo- goes along in, in, in building a business. Um, and then, um, also kind of, kind of the, the, the same idea on, on my mom's side, she kind of grew up in a, um, I would say in a middle-class family in Cuba. Mm-hmm. So not much different than middle-class values here, um, in America. You know, her, her dad was a, was a representative for a company, a sales representative for a company. So, worked hard again, the same idea of working hard results in, in, you know, a, a nicer things and a better lifestyle for, for your family. Work hard, um, be entrepreneurial. Don't spend too much, save some, don't be mm-hmm. foolish. Yeah. Sounds like the, that's where a lot of those ideas may have, may have come from. Yeah. Let's yeah, get and into and the, these, are, and these uh, are like, nothing here is like, groundbreaking. I would love to say that these are all my original concepts and, and I, w- I would love to have that, but these are all, I mean, most of the concepts here, I mean, you can go back and, and read an ancient literature and you know, the, these are in, in different um, cultures. <laughs> these are, these are good principles to live by. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the process of figuring these principles out for you is, is valuable in and of itself. Let's get into your um, the five pillars, as, as mm-hmm. you call them, um, the first, the first being 
the first of the five pillars being know where your money is and where it's going. Yeah. So the idea here is this is kind of what you were talking about earlier about your grandma, right? Um, and this, and I would say if if you don't read any pillar, this one pillar here, if if you kind of own this, this will probably um, have the biggest impact of the other of the other four. Is you have to really know um, where your money is. This becoming aware of. Um, you know, what are my savings accounts look like? What are my, do I have investments? It's amazing how many people I talk to who are like, yeah, I think I have an old 401k, but I'm not really sure. I don't have a statement. I don't know how to access it. Do you know how much is in it? Well, I'm not really sure. Um, these are all important pieces of, of planning. Um, so you have to yeah. understand all your, you know, not just what you have, but also what you owe. Right. We talk about um, in the financial world, we talk about net worth. Net worth is a really simple calculation. It's everything I own, my assets, minus everything that I owe, my liabilities, my debts, and that's my net worth. And that's a really quick kind of scorecard that you can gauge over time um, if you're doing well and building wealth or if you're going, if you're, if you're eroding um, your wealth. And also, part of that is understanding that insurance represents money, health insurance and life insurance and auto insurance and homeowners insurance that if something happens, if you have a, yeah. a catastrophic event, uh, making sure you have the right insurance coverage in place is important. It's part of the financial plan. Um, so that's this idea of knowing where your money is. Um, and then on the flip side is, is knowing where it's going. These are your spending habits. Um, it's amazing how many people, how many times I'll kind of walk people through the process of of taking a look at their spending and you hear things like, Oh my gosh, I'm spending how much on um, coffee on yeah. coffee. Yeah. Or, I mean, we pick on coffee. Don't pick on coffee, man. That's okay. That's values driven. Yeah, I, I spend money on coffee and I drive a nine year old truck. That's a decision that I make. Right. So I can spend mm -hmm. more on coffee. Um, but those are the, those are the decisions that people need to make. It's become aware of where you're spending your money. And if there's something you value, I don't care if some financial guru says you should only spend you know, 22.3% of your income on this, on this type of expenditure. If you value it and you want to spend more on it, that's cool. You just have to cut something else somewhere else. Like, yeah, I, I, personally for if, me, I don't, for me, a car is, is something I like. Car. I mean, I'm, I'm, I need a car obviously to get to and from work. I want a nice car, but I don't need, I don't need a very expensive car. And that's, that's a decision. Um, that's a, a you know, a, a conscious decision that I make. Some people I know like nice cars. They spend more in their cars. Um, well, I get to spend less on my car and spend more money somewhere else as opposed to someone might spend more on a car and they have to make a decision to spend less somewhere else. And that, that, that's the values. That's the personal part of finance. It's the values driven that, you know, I won't, I won't, um, uh, kind of put that value on someone yeah. else. It's something that I need to understand your values to give advice to what you what's important to you work within someone's values rather than indoctrinate them into your own values. Yes. So as a um, financial advisor, then I imagine that there's plenty of, of scenarios where you're talking with someone, sitting with someone working through their finances and they're spending money in accordance with their own values. That's not in accordance with your values. And, and how do you, what do you do with that? Um, well, uh, so not all my clients actually work in a financial planning arrangement or agreement with me. There's a lot of clients that we just do strictly, um, investing for. Um, so they're not necessarily turning to me for financial advice. Um, but if they, if I'll give you a really good example, um, 
risk is something that's, that, that's big. So there's some clients that I have are risk, they're, they're bigger risk takers than me. And I have some clients that are less risk takers than me, particularly business mm-hmm. owners. So when I'm talking to a business owner and they're talking about some type of like business idea, I gotta be real careful not to say, well, pff, I wouldn't do that. That's not something I, that's not a risk I would take. I have to look at their situation and say, and kind of help give them, give them, give them some ideas or some advice if it makes sense for their situation, even if it's something that I wouldn't do. Yeah. We're, we're again, working within their values framework. Yep. That's right. You have a quote in the, the ebook um, by, by Benjamin Franklin mm-hmm. yeah. in this section yeah. that, that says, beware of little expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. Yeah. You know, when you and I, uh, we've presented together at, at various professional conferences. And I, I remember one conference we presented at, we had a, a PowerPoint slide. And on the slide was an image of these like dollar bills folded up in the shape of, of small airplanes. Yeah. And they were just flying flying out into, into the atmosphere somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's how I feel about my money. It's like, where did it, where did where did it, it all go? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And so this this uh, pillar that you're talking about, know where your money is and where it's going, is about knowing where all those little leaks mm-hmm. are, as Ben Franklin said, or know where all those little airplanes are flying off to, because uh, it matters. Yeah, it does. It, it it builds up. You know, it's easy. It's easy to look at your your budget, say, or your spending, and say, oh gosh, I spent way too much on that one item. All right. Yeah. I just won't do that again. It's hard. It's hard to see like the the thirty different items that you spent, you know, thirty here, twenty here, ten there, and you add that up, and it's like, oh my gosh, if I get better yeah. at managing those those little expenses, I might be able to max out my retirement plan this year. Is there a uh, a little expense that you've had to curtail? Um. Oh my gosh! That you, that you want to say on on the show? Uh, you know, so. I'm pretty aware of my spending, generally speaking. I know what my little expenses are. Um, mm-hmm. it, they're probably more like at the grocery store, you know, like I like fancy coffee. Um, so that's a that's an expense. Yeah. Um, there's certain type of food that we buy, like organic food that I know is 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 pricey. so those are those are small expenses. so i'm I'm pretty aware of of those individual things that we spend. Um, I don't know. I don't know. They're not so much leaks as they are choices in that sense. Yeah. I, yeah. I would say generally speaking, I'm not going to say that I don't have any quote unquote financial leaks, but generally speaking, um, I've gotten a pretty good habit of, of knowing, um, knowing where, um, I've, I've kind of plugged up a lot of those little, of those little leaks. Yeah. You try to follow pillar number one here. I try to. I'm not perfect. You know, I had a, a college roommate who would, uh, who was kind of cheap and he would skimp on all kinds of expenses, but he would, he had a rule. He said, never skimp on steaks or batteries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, whenever we skimp on coffee, it's like, it, I always regret it. You and I have this conversation, right? You, you tell me when I bring you my coffee, you're like, it tastes just like your coffee and you spend, you know, peanuts for your coffee. Yeah. But yeah, everybody has their thing that they're they're that they're pretty particular about. Yeah. And that's all our right. Man, I'm going to tell you, in the uh, financial space, everyone picks on coffee. There's so many marketing pieces that say, Matt, if you stop spending money on lattes, you could you could retire early. Like, why do people pick on, 
on um and i know a lot coffee. of people who who get a lot of joy out of their latte yeah so no i wasn't i'm not picking on it as much as uh i wonder if people are aware kind of on an aggregated or an annualized basis mm-hmm. how much they're spending on coffee yep smoking or other smoking drink. is I mean, one we, I, like I'll, I'll meet with clients who smoke and i'm like man only you spending a lot on cigarettes but man your life insurance is twice as expensive mm. and unrelated health co- costs you know are more expensive um yeah but man you get a five minute break every hour yeah yeah but it comes down to this idea of being aware you know becoming aware and this is what i tell people like I don't really care what you spend your money on. If, if you value it, then spend your money on it. What I tell people is you just need to know what you're spending it on because there's a good chance you're spending money on something that is that is, is way outside of what you want to spend on. And, and once you become aware of it, you can do the things that you want to do with your money. Because typically if someone's talking to me and they're like, hey, I want to get better with my money. doesn't matter how much money they make. That, that there's typically something that they want to do that they're not able to do right now save more for retirement, pay more towards their debt, save for a down payment on a house, invest in a business. Um, so it's, it's, it's typically there's something that they want to do that they recognize that they're not doing. Being aware, I hear you. So that's, that's all pillar one. Uh, pillar two, and um, we, we probably ought to speed up a hair on, on these pillars, but pillar two is plan. Mm-hmm. Plan where you want your money to go. So number one is know where it's going. And number two, decide where you want it to go. Yeah. So one, become aware. Number two, that idea of there's something typically that you want to do that you're not doing. This is where now we can plan. I can't budget unless I know what I'm budgeting towards. And really, this is kind of about budgeting. I hate to use the word budgeting because it's such a, it just brings up a, a just, I don't know, it's kind of a. You you call it the worst financial curse word. Yeah, yeah. Feel like I just cussed on, Budgeting. The, on the podcast here. Budget, um, but the idea is it's intentional spending. It's purposeful spending. Yeah. It's what do I want to? I like budgeting. Well, you're you're a you're an odd bird. I, I like it in the sense that, um, and it, it's a mind shift that somebody helped me make a while back. But it's if I think about budgeting, it's just a spending plan, yep. and I like plans and I like to spend. So for me, a budget is somewhat freeing and that at least I know how much I can spend on activities. Yeah. And I look at budgeting a lot from a, um, this is kind of tied to pillar one. It's kind of an awareness thing is where, what I need to become aware of what I need to spend my money towards and let me spend my money towards that first. And then if I have extra money, I can go do whatever I want with it. Uh, But let's, let's fund those things that are priorities first. And to me, that's what budgeting is about. What are my, what are my big, fixed expenses? What are my main rocks? What are my, you know, my foundational expenses that I, I can't budge on? Let me, let me build a, a plan around that first and then it'll, it'll allow me to know what else I can spend. Yeah. On. Not only fixed expenses. I mean, that's part of it is budgeting for those fixed expenses, but what are those things that, um, that are important to me that are, that are, that are a little bit more flexible in, in a, from a month to month standpoint. So retiring early, that might be a budget item. Well, it's not fixed in the sense I have to put away, I have to put it away every month, but I value it and I want to put money away mm-hmm. um, towards it. Um, so that, that's yeah. really what budgeting is. It's, it's, pur- it's pur- being purposeful and intentional with what you do with your money. So in, in the section on um, plan where you want your money mm-hmm. to go, you have these, this list of <laughs> 10 reasons 
you don't need a budget. Yeah. Ten reasons you don't need a budget. And just, you know, in reading through some of these, I, I think they're they're interesting. Uh, for instance, number three is you don't need a budget because living on your parents living in your parents' spare bedroom is cheap, or sleeping on your parents' couch is somewhat comfortable, and your mom makes or your dad makes great red beans and rice. You don't need a budget. Yeah, yeah. These are obviously written uh, uh, sarcastically, um, but yeah. Number four, you don't need a budget because you got a credit yeah, card. That's man. what a credit card's for. Yeah. You know, I can it's remember thinking that. Like, I, I got my first credit card, as as I imagine many listeners did, in college. I was walking to the, uh, the, the, um, I was walking back to my dorm, and there was somebody who was out there with little tables uh, giving away credit cards, essentially. I, I think I wrote down somebody else, you know, some fake address I made up or, and still got a credit card in the mail. And I just thought of it as, yeah, if, if I need, Emergency money, I got a credit card. Yeah. I mean, it's free money. Absolutely. And you probably got a, a, a free t-shirt that shrunk the first time you washed it. Got a free crappy t-shirt yeah. also. And whatever I bought on that credit card cost me a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> I needed a budget. Yeah. So you have the 10 reasons you don't need a budget. You still ha- you also have 10 reasons why you should create a budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a lot of these go back to... Um, some sense of aligning your expenses with your values and some sense of like provision and stewardship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's purposeful in intention. It's, it's, what do you one One of them in your list that I'm interested in 10 reasons why you should create a budget number six to improve your relationships. You like that that one? sounds good to me as a relationship guy. Yeah. I might've picked that up from, uh, from some of the work that we did. Yeah. I mean, cause like, what do you, so yeah, like how does so, budgeting improve so relationships? If my wife and I are not on the same page in how we spend money, there's probably going to be conflict, right? I mean, we can go to the yeah. stereotypical joke like you buy too many shoes, right? Or you spend too much money on your on a boat or fishing. I mean, I mean those are those are things that need to be discussed. And and when we make provision and we we agree on how we're going to spend money, and it could be I have my money to spend on how I want to spend it, not hidden money, but just it's I can spend what I want. And you're not going to judge me for spending it. And if I want to save it over a few months to buy something big, so be it. The same thing for you. There's an agreement there. There's a consensus there. And that's, I think, relationship building. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And a, a similar topic, I regularly get asked by couples who are who are getting into relationship or getting married, how should we combine our finances? And uh, we should do a show on that yeah. at some point in the future. Models by which couples combine finances. Uh, keep going. Um, third pillar deals with debt. Mm, yeah. You specifically call it squash, squash debt it or mm-hmm. get rid of it. Yeah. No good. No good. Especially bad debt really needs to be squashed. So there, that sounds like there's various kinds of debt. Um, probably most people are aware of some debts better than others. What are what are some examples of, of really bad debt, and what are some examples of more um, you know more helpful debt or or you know debt that can help us get ahead? Yeah, so um, good, it's good, it's a good question. So it's really difficult to survive in our culture without having some type of debt, right? It's almost near impossible to buy a house or a car, um, especially when you're starting off. So 
typically I would say that if you're using debt to buy something that you otherwise have to buy anyway, right? Like I have to rent, I'm going to pay, you know, $2,000 a month or $1,500 a month to rent and I can buy a house for that same amount. Well, you're, you're, you're building up some equity. So that makes sense to have, you know, go into debt to buy a house or I need to buy a car, right? I need to work. I need to earn money. This is, this is just the cost of, of, of earning money. Well, that makes sense. Um, so long as that you're not buying too much house or you're not buying too much car. Um, I would say bad debt is just think of like, think of like consumerism, things that you buy today, you use it today and you're still paying for it, you know, 10 years from now that the credit card debt, high interest rate, um, that that's, that's a terrible, uh, use of debt. And again, I get like people get, people come on hard times and, and debt's a tool, um, but we should try to avoid it at all costs because man, it is expensive. Yeah. The interest rates that people are paying on debt is expensive. The amount of debt service, yeah. right? What you're paying in interest month over month over month. If you have $20,000 of credit card debt and you have a, uh, let's say 15,000, cause that's the example I use in the book, 15,000 of credit card debt and you have a 15% interest rate, you're paying $2,250 a year in interest alone. If you don't pay any mm. of the principal. And that's the that's a a month of mortgage according to your previous example. Yeah, that that's that's the TV that you bought on your credit card. That's the uh, yeah. the bike trip that you bought on your credit card. That's the your 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 this stuff is costing you not what you paid for it, but what you paid for it plus all the interest you're paying over however many years mm-hmm. of paying it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crushing. You you're talking about um, that debt is expensive financially. Uh, you and I both know debt is expensive emotionally. How do you see that show up for your clients? It costs them in other ways. Man, oh my gosh! Um, no, just emotionally. Like I'll talk to people who make good money and they have debt, and they're trying to pay this debt off, yeah. and they want to pay it off because they recognize that it's that it's expensive, and they can't do the things that they really want to do, and they're stressed. Man, they're stressed. They're anxious. Um, yeah. And if you're stressed and anxious, that can't be good for relationships. No. Yeah. Especially if you disagree on the expenses that are related to the debt and it's weighing you down. That's a big one Ugh. is you're paying yeah. off. You've learned your lesson and you're paying down a debt on something that you've already learned. And you're reminded every time you look at your, every time you look at your statement and you see what you're paying towards a terrible decision in the past, it haunts you and you see resentment and mm-hmm. I'm glad that I'm friends with counselors because I've there there have been times where I've had to dig deep into my tools and 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 kind of counsel like all right hey look we're working on this. this that's the past this is this is who you are now this is what we're working towards now let's stay focused on 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 what you're doing now but yeah it's yeah. um that's 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 problematic so debt stay away from it squash it as much as possible yep um, pillar pillar four. Yes deals with saving, save for tomorrow. And and I guess there are, in reading this section, there are different kinds of tomorrows yep. in different kinds of savings. So you talk about, uh, well, why don't you start by talking just about the importance of saving? Yeah, so I'll first, general, I'll first say know, most, three, save two. Yeah, most financial advisors, this is probably where they spend the majority of their time in pillar number four. Specifically, I talk about three types of savings, short-term savings, mid-term savings, and long-term savings. I would say when most people think of financial advisor, they're thinking very specifically about the guy who's going to help me save or invest for retirement. 
they're going to invest my money in the stock market. That's what most people are thinking about that very small part of, of this entire picture financially. So, mm -hmm. uh, three, three types of savings, short-term savings. I would, I would say that's somewhere between the next zero to two years. This is money that I might need in the next zero to two years. Think of mm -hmm. uh, an emergency. You might need some money for an emergency. Yeah. Think of you plan on buying a house in the next year or so. So you need money kind of on the side to put for, towards the down payment. You're going to need it pretty, pretty, pretty soon. And the opposite of short-term savings would be long-term savings. You know, I've got 25 years or 30 years till I retire. So I need to start putting money away today for yeah. uh, something very far away. And I would say in the savings world, short-term and long-term are probably the, the two most important ones to address initially. Um, short-term, probably the less money you have, the more important short-term savings becomes. Um, and you want your short-term savings. This is not stock market money, man. This is like in the, this is, um, in the bank, yeah. in your savings account, kind of doing nothing, just sitting there just in case you need it. Um, you don't want to have to worry about, oh my gosh, is the stock market down? I don't want to sell anything. You, you need access it. You need access to it relatively quick. And then yeah. long-term, um, you can take more risk with it. You can go into the stock market based off of your, you know, your ability and your comfort with, with risk. Um, and then midterm is somewhere in the middle. Um, it's not necessarily tied up for retirement because um, I think some people can tie too much of their money up for retirement. And if they need something now, it's kind of costly to get to it if it's tied up in retirement accounts. And you don't want it just sitting in a, in a savings account doing nothing. You want it to work and earn interest. So there's a couple different things that I talk about from a um, uh, from an investment standpoint, just regular investment accounts um, and those those types of things. So like in your dad's advice to, to break it down even more, you know, if you make five, spend three, save two, initially you might save that two entirely into a, an emergency fund. Yeah. And once that $2 equaled whatever amount you needed for emergencies, then you might convert that over that $2 or most of that $2 over into some other longer term savings. Mm -hmm. And it could be something yeah. where, again, this is where it gets very personal, very specific to the individual. If you're in a job that is seasonal or if you're in a job that is commission-based or your income is variable, that short-term savings account becomes a lot more important to fund ASAP. But if you have a job that's very stable, um, you know, there's really nothing threatening your, your position um, and you, you, you make, you know, decent money, part of your income is actually part of your emergency fund if you have discretionary money. So if I've got extra money at the end of the month, and an emergency happens, well, if I don't have it put aside in a savings account, I can use my extra money from that month's income, right? So if you have a stable job, then maybe there's a, a reason to fund both at the same time, your, your emergency fund as well as your retirement account. So um, again, mm -hmm. personal finance, mm -hmm. personal advice is, is very different to, to different people based off of their circumstances. Yeah, I love what you're saying there. And it, 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 kind of speaks to another question that I have about, and we, we really don't have time to get into it. We'll get into it in another show, but how you might advise different families differently, particularly those that are entrepreneurs or small business owners themselves, and the, the different kind of savings that they might need to yeah. have, given the fact that uh, business is uncertain. Yep. Yep. No, that's, that's a, that's an entire show. So, um, 
save for tomorrow, mm-hmm. always saving for tomorrow. You know, going back to your dad's advice, spend three, save two. We never talk about spend three. Mm-hmm. But that there's that that life costs money and you're gonna have to spend some money. And so you might as well plan to spend some That's pillar spend two. Three. That's pillar two. Plan where you want your money to go. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, we just didn't get that far into yeah. like you know, you're it's okay to spend. Yeah. You're gonna don't try to I, I guess let me say it this way. My kids um have recently learned about compounding interest and so you taught them that actually. And so that they're they're thinking about savings. And so now when they get an allowance, they're like Put it all in my savings. Put it all. I'm like, well, okay, but that's unreasonable mm. because in a in like 12 hours you're going to want something, and you're going to need to spend money on something. Yeah, and that that's probably true for all of us, right? We are going to spend money. Life costs. We're going to spend. Yeah. Food happens. Hunger happens. Light bills happen. Yeah. So flats happen. So with that, especially today, where money is so so digital, right? Um, I'm I'm a big fan of having separate accounts for separate purposes, right? I think having too many accounts, having having one more account than you need is one too many accounts. But having the right number of accounts for for specific needs is the perfect number of accounts. So, for example, if your kids are, you know, they want some spending money, um, they have a, a checking account. It's like their quote unquote their operating account that they can go buy gum with or snowballs or or whatever, and then they have their savings account. Um, so when they get those two extra dollars or they get, they make their $5, they can put three in their spending account and two in their savings account. Um, and I think conceptually with kids, it's really important just to, to capture concepts. Um, yeah, you know, that, that, that's key is to understand kind of the, the piggy bank, the piggy bank. Although, there's, there's money you save and there's money you can spend. Yeah. Um, the, the last pillar that you you write about, um, I do think is fairly unique to you. I'm not, you know, I don't read all the financial books out there, and and definitely people talk about giving, but not everybody talks about it in the same way that you do. So, pillar five deals with giving, giving to others, giving some of your money away. Yeah. So we talk extensively about this in one of our earlier podcasts called um, Giving Principle. And I highly yeah. encourage you. Um, to go listen to that. It's called the giving or giving principle. Um, but I, I think that when you're motivated and driven by something outside of yourself, some cause outside of yourself, and you start to realize like, man, uh, my money can do this type of good in the community. You start to think about your money a little bit differently. You start to think about your dollar a little bit differently. You start to spend maybe a little bit differently, and you think, man, you know, maybe instead of um, maybe instead of buying organic rice at the grocery store, maybe I'll buy conventional rice, and I'll focus yeah. on maybe giving an extra thirty dollars a month or twenty dollars a month to this cause that 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 I'm aligned with. Um, so what starts it to gives happen? Rice to other rice to other people. Rice, what? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the idea is, you become more aware of your spending. I think. When you when you're when you're driven and motivated to give to others, and yeah. from a financial principle, that's a good thing. Yeah, I love what you're saying about that, and and the the image that comes to mind is this reciprocal relationship or kind of a circular relationship, bidirectional influence, where your spending is influencing your giving, but then your your giving is reciprocally influencing your your spending and that those two things are related and i think you really make a great case for that 
in that other episode about how you don't just you don't just spend less so you can give more, but your giving will will change you and change how you spend and will influence your spending. Also. Yeah, it goes back to this idea of aligning what you do with your money with with your values, and and I don't think it, I don't think it's anything magical. Like there, this is not like. Hey, if you give, you're going to automatically have more money. I'm not mm. suggesting that, but there's there's a there's an ancient proverb that says um, when you refresh someone, you yourself will be refreshed. You know, or when you bless someone, you yourself um, will be helped. And I think that mm-hmm. that that's a principle that I think sometimes we're afraid to live by because um, by by the very sense of this idea of giving to other people, you're kind of putting someone else's needs before your own. So you're you're in essence, denying yourself something that you could have for somebody yeah. else. So it's it's a it's not an easy principle to capture. Um, but I think that when you do capture it, um, pretty cool things happen. But yeah, go check out the giving principle. We we need to wrap up for today. Um, we could we could talk about each of these uh, in more depth, and maybe we will be able to do that in in future episodes as well. Um, I love talking about this stuff with you, and it's really um, helped me both personally and professionally be better at talking to couples, other couples about this kind of stuff. So for our listeners out there who are therapists, I would certainly encourage you to uh, to get some of Eric's materials, and particularly this ebook. But but Eric, for any any listener out there. How can they get a hold of the the ebook and get some of these foundation foundational principles? Yeah, you go download it from my website. If you go to um, plan wisely dot com forward slash pillars, you can download it there. So it's plan wisely dot com forward slash pillars, and you can download it for free right there. And it's pretty short. It's free. It's free. It's it's it is um, it is a investment in your time. I appreciate that, man. This is building us, and you know what this is all about. This is all about investing in your relationships. And when you when you clear up your money, it definitely helps your relationships. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.